the Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team. Welcome, everyone, to today's Lifetime Planning episode. Today, we're going to discuss the 4% rule. Much more attention getting paid to this in the news, given the investment landscape that we're facing today. So, Jim, let's explain the 4% rule and how it should work. Okay, this is widely used in the planning industry and by advisors. And it was invented by a guy by the name of Bill Bengren. He's a financial planner. In 1994, he came out with a study he did of the stock market and the bond market. Remember, most people have what we call a 60-40 split, 60% equities, 40% in bonds. And he said, given that and given the nature of what markets... Now, remember, in 1994, he had witnessed almost 15 years of declining interest rates. In fact, we would go another 15 years, all the way up to 2020, another 15 years of declining interest rates. Folks, remember where we were in 2020. We actually got down, I think there was a period of time when the pandemic hit, Chris, where you actually had negative interest rates on T-bills. And one of the reasons that we'll get into why this isn't going to work is what happened to the bond market, because we went from a half a percent on treasuries, and everybody knows that you can get 5% in treasuries. I don't think that's going to be there by the time we get to summer. But nonetheless, there was this period of time where stocks and bonds did well. So here's how it works. And here's what the theory is. And let's just take an example of a million dollars. So you have a million dollars and you take out 4% at the beginning of the year. So on a million dollars, 4% would be $40,000. And the concept is you could do this 25 or 30 years and you'd never run out of money. So you think about it, divide 40,000 into a million, that's 25 years that you could technically do this and not run out of money. And so that's how this concept was developed. Now, typically what most people do when you're doing this 4% withdrawal rule, you're most people are invested in, let's say, an S&P 500 ETF. They may have a NASDAQ 100 ETF, and then they have a bond fund. So what they would do is at the beginning of the year, you would liquidate $40,000 out of that same concept, 60% out of your stock fund, 40% out of your bond fund. You know, your advisor may mix that up, but you would be liquidating shares for $40,000 and you would use that $40,000, you take it out of the beginning of the year and you would live off that through the next 11, 12 months. Following year, you would liquidate 4% again, but you would have to adjust it for inflation. So let's say that you were taking out 4% and let's use the average inflation rate at 3.6%. You add that. So the following year, instead of taking out 4%, you take out 4.15%. So instead of 40,000, let's just round it off. You take out 41,000. Following year, you probably take out 42,500, et cetera. And you would be just this 4% withdrawal rate by inflation every year. So you're even with inflation. The problem is this worked well when we were going through long periods of time, like we did in the 80s, like we did in the 90s, and like we did in the last decade, because it did not work that well at the beginning of this century. And let me just give you an example of this. In March of 2000, the S&P 500 hit an all-time record of 1552. By the end of the year, or by 2002, by the end of 2002, the S&P 500 lost 50%. So it lost 16% in 2000. 
It lost 12% in 2001, and it lost 27% in 2002. Now, you're going to have to add to the 16%, the 4% that you took out. So if the market was down 50% over that three-year period, and you were taking out 4% a year, add another 12% to the 50, because you took out 12% of your capital. So that doesn't work well in that period of time. You lost money. Well, people say, well, the market went back up. True. In 2007, the stock market got back to its previous high, got up to 1557. But in 2007, by the end of the year, the market was down 5%. In 2008, when the financial crisis began, the S&P was down 41%. And in 2009, in the first three months of the year, it was down another 23%. So imagine, Chris, liquidating assets when the market is down 23% or down 41%. So Jim, it sounds like what you're saying is that this rule 4% withdrawal rate works okay as long as you don't have a bear market. It's not just a bear market, but remember what happened after the financial crisis. The Fed engineered with quantitative easing, I think we had three different episodes of it, they engineered interest rates down to zero. So from 2010 until 2022, you were dealing with 0% interest rates, 10-year treasury bonds only paid a half a percent, 30-year treasury bonds didn't pay much more than that. So if the stock market's going down, and during that period of Time. Chris, let's just assume that you retired in the year 2000. It would take the stock market 13 years to exceed the highs it reached in March of 2000. So for 13 years, the stock market went nowhere. And then for a period of 12 years, you were dealing with 0% interest rates. Think if you were withdrawing money in negative stock market returns in 0% interest rates. That's why you had to abandon that approach because it didn't work. So Jim, you discussed bear markets where the 4% rule fails or may, be, may not be the best guideline to follow, especially during times where we see very low interest rate policy by the Fed, as we saw in the past. But let's talk about what we see today, and that's with the bond market. Yeah, because you, let's go back to the financial crisis. In 2008, people were just scared. They were dumping everything from corporate bonds to remember the companies that were going under. The government had to bail out the banking system because the banking system was completely insolvent. Everybody remembers AIG going under, Merrill Lynch going under, some of the bigger banks going under. But the bond market that period of time, and I'll just take TLT because everybody's familiar with it, but the bond market lost 20% between 2008 and 2009, stayed down in that level until we got to 2011 when the Fed was initiating quantitative easing. Then we got another bear market in bonds in 2013 and 2014. You lost another 15, 20%. And then it sort of went backwards and sideways for a couple of years. But here's the big one, Chris. And this is what people aren't ready. And you're going to see more of this going forward in this decade. So if you look at TLT, it hit 180 in uh, March of 2020. We're right in the middle of the pandemic. People were scared. They were moving into treasuries. TLT went from almost 112 in 2018 all the way up to 180 by 2020. But since 2020, TLT has gone from 180 to where it is today at 92. So TLT has lost 50%. 
in the last two years. And it's struggling this year. It went up, now it's going down. So this 60-40 rule, the idea was, well, if stocks were going down, bonds were going up. That was true for most of, I would say, going back to 1980. That it was true for the 80s. It was true for the 90s. Somewhat true for the 00 decade because you had the financial crisis where you lost 20% in bonds because people were scared. Everything was going under. Everybody remembers Hank Paulson every Monday coming out with a new bailout program for some financial institution, some bank. And think of where we are now. And you've heard a lot of our technicians on the show tell them that this decade is going to resemble more closely what we went through between 1968 and 19. 19- So, Chris, this does not work very well in bear markets. And now we're getting bear markets and bonds, which really we haven't really had that for most of the last, I would say, four decades. Another thing that we've been discussing on the show recently is required minimum distributions, especially, you know, when we think about tax planning and retirement planning around this. Where does the 4% rule apply to RMDs, especially that when they begin at age 73 and then go up every year as you age? Well, I mean, at age 73, you have to start taking out your first year, you'll have to take out 3.7%. So you're right there at the 4% rule. But every single year, it goes up. So for example, by age 80, you would be taken out close to 9%. By age 85, you'd be taken out 12.5%. And by 90, you'd be taken out almost 18%. So imagine if you have an IRA, let's say you're turning 73 this year, you're going to start out roughly at 3.7%. Fast forward by 85, you'll be taken out 5 or 6%. Fast forward to 80, 85, it's 12%. And then by 90, it'll be close to 18%. How are you going to earn that? That would be great if it was the 80s and the, or the 90s and the stock market was going up double digits each year. This would work. You could take the required distribution and you wouldn't be touching your principal, but you're going to be touching your principal this year. And so that's why I think you have to think strategically much different, Chris, because I just don't think this is going to fly as I've shown, because we've got bear market and bonds we've got bear market in stocks. And those bear markets, you got to remember the bursting of the tech bubble, the S&P lost over 50%. During the financial crisis, it lost over 60%. And that was over a two and a half year period. Likewise, when the tech bubble burst, and just take a look what's happened to bonds since 2020, you've lost 50%. So this is a different kind of environment. And the other thing that we're having to deal with, and especially this is going to hit retirees hard, Chris, is inflation. And we talk about your expenses when you first retire. You probably spend more in the first decade of your retirement. We call that the go-go years, 65, 75. Then you go to the go-slow years, 75, 85. Your expenses kind of moderate during that period of time. But then when you get into your 80s, your expenses jump mainly from healthcare. Healthcare expenses, more drugs, more therapy, operations. Maybe you're dealing with issues where you need assisted living and care. Those expenses are going up. How are you going to deal with that when we have unpredictable markets. People don't understand the stock market doesn't go up each year. And for 13 years, from 2000 to 2013, it went nowhere. What is it that you're doing with your clients currently in light of some of the information you've already mentioned? 
Well, once again, I can't predict, Chris, where the stock and bond market's going to be. I think we're going to be dealing with higher inflation. Just take a look at the numbers we got on Friday. And I think we're going to be dealing with a sovereign debt crisis. Uh, the CBO just came out and they said the path the government's on is unsustainable. We're going to be running into major problems with Social Security, Medicare, and the government itself financing its deficit. And especially now, is more and more countries are moving away from the dollar, which means there's less people coming into our market buying our treasuries. That's one of the reasons we're looking at the 30-year bond is at four and a half. The 10-year treasury is at 4.3. Now that may not sound much, but remember in December, the 10-year treasury was at 3.8. Today, it's at 4.3. So if you take 3.8 and you take 4.3, treasuries have already lost 13%. So that's the kind of market. What I prefer is dealing with something that's going to handle, number one, the 4% rule for retirement and keep you in inflation-adjusted terms that you can't outspend your money and you can't outlive it. And what I use, Chris, is high-dividend aristocrats that pay a 4% dividend that are increasing their dividends at a rate of 5 to 6%. Now, I, I just ahead uh, of today's program, I ran a screen on the S&P. Out of the S&P 500 stocks, there's 81 stocks that have a dividend yield right now of 4%. Then I adjusted it. All right, let's take those stocks and eliminate the ones that aren't increasing the dividends 5 to 6% a year. And basically, it cut it down in half. So there's 40 stocks in the S&P. These are aristocrats paying 4%, growing their dividends at 5 or 6%. Now, why I like this approach, which is more predictable, Chris, if I'm starting out at 4%, let's say this year, next year, you adjust your 4% by inflation. Let's say we'll average it at 3.6. Well, I already got that covered because if my dividends are going up 5 or 6%, I'm keeping up with inflation and moving ahead of it. So for example, if you start out at 4% and those dividends go up 5 or 6% a year, in 10 years, you'll be earning 7%. In 15 years, you'll be earning 8.5%. In 20 years, you'll be earning 11%, 25 years, 14%, 30 years, 17. So I don't have to worry about this inflation because I'm getting inflationary increases with my income. Therefore, I don't have to worry about what the bond market's going to do. I don't have to worry about is the stock market going to be up and down when I need to make a withdrawal from my account to live on. So Chris, it's a better approach. It's more predictable. It's more stable because, I mean, we have some of the best technicians on our program. And if you'll notice the message coming from them that have been on the program, we could be heading for trouble. And heading for trouble, what does that mean? It means probably a recession, probably a bear market in stocks again. And it's probably if we're heading into a recession, the Fed is going to end up lowering interest rates. So if you're getting 5% in T-bills now, you're not going to get them, I don't think, by summer. You're probably going to get closer in the 3 to 4% range. So the technicians are telling you, and I'm even talking about some of the most bullish guys we've had. When Craig Johnson gets somewhat cautious, I pay attention because this guy has been spot on for the two decades that I've known Craig. And that's why I call him bullseye. I remember him in 2007, telling his peers at work, I don't like the way this market looks. And Craig started getting cautious. And look what happened. Next two years, the market lost over 60%. And I remember him getting cautious on the bond market. And look at what's happened to TLT. It's lost 50% in the last two years. So Chris, I don't like to be subject to the vagaries of the market, the vagaries of the interest rate cycle and what the Fed's going to do. I know, for example, if I own Coca-Cola, I know what the dividend is now. And I have 
have a good idea what it's going to be at the end of the year when the next dividend increase comes. So I think it's a better approach to handling RMDs. If you have a large IRA and you're making distributions, and I also think it's a better approach to handling your retirement years so you don't outlive it and you don't outspend it. And I don't know why we don't talk more and more about this because half of the returns of the stock market over the last hundred years, half of it is come from dividends. And if you want to understand why Warren Buffett has been so successful, runs the most successful insurance company in the world, Warren Buffett is is about dividends and cash flow. And he's one of the greatest investors out there. So Jim, when you're talking about the traditional 60-40 stock bond portfolio, and when it comes to the vagaries of the stock and bond market, you know, if you're talking about the fixed income portion of that portfolio, if you're buying an actual bond outright, let's say you're buying a 10-year treasury, for example, that interest rate is going to be fixed for that 10-year period. So you're not going to see any variation in the interest rate, depending on what the Fed does or what the market does. So what is it that you're referring to when you speak of you know, some of the problems that occur within a bear market or you know, even with inflation, for example? Well, about 95% of advisors out there, brokers use ETFs or mutual funds. So you see what I'm talking about, like TLT, LQD, if you're looking at corporates or any other kind of bond fund. It's one of the reasons that I think makes our firm a little bit unique. We're one of the last of breed that do individual stocks and we do individual bonds. So you're right, Chris, if I buy, you know, we've locked in on some very attractive treasury yields over 5%, well, that's not going to change. So I don't have to worry about that in individual bonds versus if I'm in a bond fund, I may have to worry about it because one of the things that's hit bond fund managers is as the bond funds start dropping in value, people started liquidating their bond funds. What does that do? It forces the bond fund manager to liquidate bonds he may not want to liquidate, but when they have to give people their money back, they're forced to do that. Same thing in a stock fund or an ETF. So that's one of the reasons why we like individual stocks. When I have somebody that has like a Roth or has an IRA, I like to put them in individual stocks and I like to put them in dividend aristocrats because Chris, I'm gonna provide them with predictability, reliability and an inflation hedge. It doesn't matter what the Fed's doing or what's going on in the market. In other words, let's say your stock and I'm probably tired of hearing me talking about this example, but it drives home the point I want to make. So if you bought Coca-Cola in 2007, you paid $30 a share. Two and a half years later, March of 2009, Coca-Cola is down from 30 down to 20. So you think, oh my God, I lost a third of my money. Well, the market lost 60%. You lost half of that. But here's the point I want to drive home. 2007, dividends went up 7 8%. 2008, dividends went up 7 8%. 2009, nine dividends went up seven to eight percent. So if you did nothing during the financial crisis, the worst one since the Great Depression, your income went up 24 percent. And that's the difference when you own an individual stock. I cannot say that if you own an ETF or a mutual fund, because that will always be changing. It'll lower in a bear market. It'll go up in a bull market. So that's the difference. And that's one of the reasons why we use individual stocks and bonds. It's better for retirement accounts, especially IRAs, when you're making distributions each year that will go up because of your age. And it's also more predictable in delivering inflation-adjusted income so that you don't outspend and outlive your money during retirement. 
Why do you think it is that the financial industry as a whole isn't using this individual stock bond approach? What are the benefits of doing it primarily through, like you said, ETFs or mutual funds versus individual stocks and bonds? It takes a lot more effort. If I put money in a bond fund and a stock fund, I don't have to do anything. You know, it just stays there. It's passive. This takes a lot more research, a lot more time, and a lot more effort. But in the long run, I think it's a better approach. But the industry, you know, basically Wall Street sells products and the products are ETFs or mutual funds. Wall Street does not sell individual stocks. Wall Street doesn't sell individual bonds. You might get that if you're at Goldman Sachs and you have $10 million with them, you get those in those upper counts. If you're super wealthy, that's what you get. But below that, that's not what you get. Well, as we close here, Jim, one book that you've cited a number of times on the show that is definitely a must read and ties into this conversation very well is the book Triumph of the Optimist. How much of that book and the core message of it relates to the strategy that we're discussing today? Well, it's right out of their book. Half of the return of the stock market over the last 100 years has come from dividends. And so if you're investing in a growth stock, doesn't pay a dividend, then all your hopes are that stock price is going to go up. Well, it's not going to go up in a bear market. You know, the Magnificent Seven that were the stars of last year's market, people forget they lost 50 to 60% of their value in 2022 because indexing works in reverse in a bear market. The higher the large cap stocks get hit the hardest, just as if you put a dollar into an S&P fund, 30 cents goes into the Magnificent Seven. And when you sell a dollar of an S&P fund, 30 cents goes out of the Magnificent Seven. People forget that Amazon, Microsoft, Google, all these stocks lost 56 60% in 2022 is money poured out of these index funds. So that's why I like dividends because it accounts for half of the market's return. So if the stock market, and they're saying right now, given the market we're in, that the rate of return in this decade longer term is going to be less than 10, it's probably going to be closer to eight. Well, if I can get four or 5% in a dividend, I'm getting six to 70% of the long-term return in the stock market without as much risk. So that's why I like it. It works. Oh, and by the way, I want to thank a listener. A listener sent me an update by the authors of Triumph of the Optimist. And one of the conclusions they came to, Chris, is getting non-correlation assets. Stocks and bonds that kind of go together. A non-correlating asset, guess what it was? Commodities. And it's one of the reasons we own commodities. Once again, my belief, we're going to be in a bull market of the century in commodities. We're seeing shortages everywhere. You know, Chris, I just went to Costco. We have a friend's birthday party we're throwing for her tonight. And I wanted to get fillets. That's her favorite beef. And I didn't see any prime beef at Costco. So I knocked on the window with the butcher and he says, yeah, we're seeing a lot more shortages. We're not getting our allocation. So what they're getting now is the choice, which is not as good as a prime. So once again, you know, we're seeing these kind of things that happen and we're seeing them more often. Remember during the lockdowns when you had limitation on the beef you could buy, when we were scrambling to get toilet paper, you're going to see a lot more of those things coming in this decade. So summing up, if you want to be in a position to not outlive or outspend your assets. Dividend investing with dividend aristocrats is a far better approach. And of course, like we discussed with individual stocks and bonds, which goes against, like you said, Jim, a majority of how many investment managers are investing using either bond funds or ETFs as the main vehicles. So hopefully some of what we discussed here today help our listeners in understanding some of the forces that we're looking at 
today and why the 4% rule could likely face some limitations going forward. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us at Financial Sense Wealth Management to see how we can assist you with our, our comprehensive financial planning or asset management services, you can do so by going to our website, financialsensewealth.com or giving us a call at 888-486-3939. Yeah. And I would add, if you're facing retirement or looking into retirement, or maybe you're going to be in a position where you're turning 73 this year, give me a call because you don't want to get in a situation where you're going to be liquidating assets in a bear market, whether it's in stocks or bonds. So you can call me directly at the office, 888-486-3939. I would look forward to speaking with you. In the meantime, on behalf of Chris Sheridan and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us here on Lifetime Planning. We've got some really exciting things that are coming up here. We're going to be doing webinars on specific topics, uh, whether it's estate planning, whether it's income tax planning, whether, you know, even investing, all kinds of topics that we're going to start rolling out. And I hope to see you in those webinars. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any. Any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in Financial Sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour. Please be advised that you invest at your own risk.